Hi, I'm Jordan Mentor, and you're listening to the Brooklyn to Beijing podcast. Every episode elevates a new conversation around China and its ever-changing relationship with the Black diaspora. Welcome. Welcome to this week's episode of the Brooklyn to Beijing podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Mentor, and today we'll be talking with the amazing Cleopatra Wise of the Asia Society. We'll talk about her experiences in China, why she works to forge stronger relations between China and the West and the Black diaspora, and also do a bit of a dive into China's role, or what Cleo thinks China's role is in our the global Black experience today. So to get started, I always let guests do their own pitches and their own intros, and I think it's only right. And although I do expect us to touch on quite a bit of your life experiences this episode, Cleo, I want you to tell our listeners today who is Cleo Wise when they tune in. Like, who 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 is this person talking to them and giving them this great perspective? And how did your interest in China emerge? Hi, so I'm Cleopatra Wise, and. I work for the Asia Society. Um, basically, what I do is promote Chinese language and culture to young people,、um, specifically in the K through 12 range. I lived and worked in China for eight years, and I've been back、uh, working at the Asia Society for the past four、uh, four years, or nearly four years.、Um, my interest in China is actually by accident. <laughs> so,、um, oh, wow. yes. So, my freshman year of college, I enrolled in. A course called Global Leadership,、um, and I did not know that as a part of that course, I would have to go to China for a week during spring break.、Um, oh. As you know,、um, if you went to college in undergrad, you might need like one credit or one extra unit to fill up all your credits. That was that、yeah. course, so I hadn't right, paid much、right. attention to what the requirements were. It was just <laughs> like a seminar kind of class. I did not have a passport. I did not know anything about China,、That、but because、funny. I was kind of forced to go, I said,、oh, "Let、yeah. me just make the best of my trip."、Um, so on syllabus was, day, you found that out. <laughs> well, not on syllabus day. So it, the course was a whole year. So,、oh. um, and it was just a、um, once a week, and so someone would come in and talk about global business generally and stuff like that. So it's just、yeah. like a very simple course, not too much work. And then during the spring semester, I'd say. January, mid January, is when our teacher was like, "Everyone needs to get a, make sure they have their visa for China." And I was like, "Visa what? for what? We're going to China!" <laughs> and everyone in the class was like, "Yeah, Cleo, we're going to China. You should have a visa." And a, like, "Why don't you have a visa?" And I was like, "Oh." So first, I said I didn't have any money to go to China, which was true at the time. And they right, said, right. "Here's some money. You have to go," <laughs> because I really had no interest in going. That is hilarious. So super funny, but the week that I spent in Shanghai, it completely changed my life and changed my、mm. perspective、um, on just who I was in in conjunction with the rest of the world. And I think for someone who I am originally from the south, from a really small、uh, town, and so you know, going、mm-hmm. abroad and seeing something so different and so unique, especially at that time, which was. Um, 2007. You know, Shanghai was definitely on fire.、Um, this was a year before the Olympics were going to happen, and so、right. it was just an incredible time to go. And I left that trip 
you know, a believer. I said, China is the future and uh-huh. I'm going to learn Chinese. And so, so yeah. Yeah, the yeah, yeah go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so you got to China for the first time in 2007 for a week. You touched down in Shanghai for the first time. What what happened there? Was it was it like a cultural emergent, emergent trip? Was it sort of like a, a study program? Did you take classes? Like what happened that made you have this moment where you said China is it <laughs> in 2007? So basically, it was a week-long trip. I went to the University of Southern California, so it, uh, just a small right. pitch for my alma mater. You know, <laughs> we have really great um, exchange programs. And so this was one exchange program that was specific for business students. Mm. And so in that week, we went and visited several companies. So we went nice. to see uh, GM, so General Motors in yeah. China, the um, factory there. We went to see Bow Steel, which is a huge state-owned um, company right, right. Um, that produces most of China steel and a lot of steel um, globally as well. Um, and then we went to see some universities, but it it wasn't specifically any one thing that we did. It was just going there. And if you've never been to Shanghai, Shanghai's like. <sighs> I hate to compare cities with cities, but it's kind of the same feel of New York where everyone's mm-hmm. kind of busy yeah. and bustling and there's right. all this energy right. and people are trying to make money. And there's this, you know, um, interesting clash between, you know, modern China and, you know, traditional Chinese culture and mm-hmm. all of those things are kind of yeah. happening in Shanghai. And for me, never having been abroad um, and never having, um, know much about Asian culture yeah, at all. That's a really. hell of a first trip. It's definitely, <laughs> you know, like a yeah. complete shock. And I had never thought of myself as someone a part of a greater global community. I, I would right, say right. and consider myself, you know, at that point in time in my life as a very typical American, right. exactly in the way yeah. that you would think a typical American. So my freshman year, I had a friend, really good friend, who was studying Japanese, and he tried to convince me. This was fall semester of my freshman year. Oh, you should take Japanese too. It's really good. And da da da. And I was like, Why would I take Japanese? I speak right. English. Like everyone speaks English. <laughs> the and typical American gave, answer, yeah. <laughs> typical American answer. So I just really did not have any desire to learn anything outside mm-hmm. of what was going on in the U.S. And I did not go to university to do anything other than try to make money in the future. Yeah. That was my whole reason yeah, yeah, yeah. for going to undergrad. It wasn't for me to attain some higher understanding or any philosophical, you know, <laughs> understanding of life. Right? And so yeah. I think going to China and having such a strong, you know, culture shock and just seeing something that was completely foreign and different to me, um, was just this incredible experience. And it, it was, you know, there are some people who say they have those like um, transformative life experiences for me. Yeah. Going to Shanghai was a transformative life experience. When I went to Shanghai and when I left and came back to the U.S. In it just was only one week. literally <laughs> seven day trip. I was completely different in my thinking. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't doubt you because... Um, 
we have something in common there where my first time in China was in Shanghai. I went there. Oh, nice. Well, I was actually studying Chinese in college and I was a Chinese minor and got a scholarship. And I was very intentional. I didn't accidentally <laughs> end up in Shanghai. Um, and I did about a summer. It's like half a year um, there. So I had a really, um, really... I can, I guess I should say I could relate to you in terms of just how life-changing it is just being thrown into just a completely different society. I mean, it, it was my first time leaving. It, it was my, it was not my first time leaving the United States, but it was my first time in Asia and in just a completely different society to the West. Yes. Right. Um, and, you know, I want to know after you did these seven days and you came back home, I guess you couldn't get China out of your mind. I think from what, I recall you said you were it was you were kind of wrapping up college then right you were sort of graduating um that was your last year is that was that it when you got back was you just so and- I went to I went to Shanghai my freshman year of college oh, okay. and it, then my sophomore year of college I decided you know what China's the future I'm gonna learn Chinese I did not really mm. understand fully that Chinese is a hard language. I didn't get the memo like everyone else did. So I took Chinese one. I changed my major from business to international relations. Um, And I mean, Chinese one and Chinese two, it definitely was difficult for me because I'm tone deaf and (laughs) I'm not naturally good at languages at all. (laughs) I just like to talk. That's it. Um, but I really dedicated myself to learning Chinese. I was the worst person in my entire class. And I just knew that somehow I was going to do it. And so after my sophomore year, I went to do a one-year um, exchange at Peking yeah. University in Beijing. And Which that's is the where best I really way to learn Chinese. the language. Yeah. Yes. I remember... I, yeah. I was in Shanghai and, you know, you're learning, we're learning the language semester after semester. And it's like, you still find yourself translating. I think anyone who's learning Chinese can relate to this. You still find yourself translating what you hear to English in your head before Mm -hmm. you speak it, you know, um, before you respond, which is not a sign that you're learning the language. Right. And I was in, um, I was in line in a museum and this woman started talking to me and I started responding. I didn't realize until she left that I didn't even think about what I said to her. I just spoke in Chinese and I'm like, oh, wow, it really takes being here and having being forced to, to, to speak Mandarin day after day that the language actually s- settles in or starts to settle in <laughs> because I think it takes yeah. years to, to, to get a hang of it. <laughs> no, I think for me, um, that year that I did my exchange, that's where I really learned Chinese. Um, I remember, so I went for the summer. So the summer, that was the Olympics time in Beijing. So it's right. incredible. Oh, that, was a, that was a nice time to be in China, yeah. Amazing time, especially in Beijing and especially yeah. as a Black person because I got right. a lot of free stuff that summer. People were like, oh, do you play <laughs> they think you were track? related to Obama, Obama shirts? I know that was probably a big thing around that time. <laughs> Obama shirts, people thinking that you run track. Um, <laughs> it was just, you know, incredible time to really be um, in Beijing. And I remember, so I didn't go with everyone else. I booked my own flight from back home because I went home for a little bit first. And I took a cab. I had the address to the university. 
And I said something in Chinese to the cab driver. Mm-hmm. And that woman said something back to me. I don't know what she said. <laughs> like the Beijing accent is is it's almost like if someone was just learning English and then they went to Brooklyn, like real Brooklyn, and no, that real Brooklyn, no, Brooklyn people. No. Yes, no, that Brooklyn is not no. I think like, like a deep no, 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 like a deep. New Orleans, Alabama accent. Like, that's how Beijing is. Because I, my, this is how it was. My professor was from Taiwan. And then I studied from, in Shanghai with people who had, the, you know, the, Shai, the Shanghai accent, yeah, yeah. Shanghainese accent what, and whatnot. So going to Beijing was, I literally, I got so sad for like a couple of days because I'm like, what did I learn all this for? Because I understand no one right now. So, <laughs> Don't feel bad. Like it's um, <laughs> the interesting thing about Beijing accent is that it's both a draw, so like very similar to like a southern draw, so people draw out their words, but right, it's fast. Right. And I didn't know that a language could be both have a draw and also be fast. <laughs> I don't know how that works, so that's why I say like a Brooklyn accent because New Yorkers speak so fast. Um, that is to, you know, I'm from right. the south, like people speak slow in the south, and I still you know, speak a lot slower than people up here. And mm-hmm. like, ha oh, man, the Beijing is like, da, 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 and it's just like yep, really, yep, really fast. Yep. So I didn't know. And there's a long ride from the airport to the university. So I was like, am I, <laughs> am, is she going to kill me? I don't know where I'm going. Am I going the right way? I had like an hour and a half to, to think about that. That is hilarious. <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> oh man. So that you um you were, you were at Peking University, which I should add is actually a very prestigious university in China. I mean, it's considered the Harvard of China. So that must have been in itself an experience, no? Yes. And especially the time that I did my exchange. So when I did my exchange, if you all can remember, 2008 was the financial crisis. So right, right. some very interesting, I met a lot of very interesting people who had worked uh, for Goldman Sachs, for Lehman Brothers, mm. um, who were working for Wall Street, who got laid off. There's really? no way they were going to find a yeah. job um, at that time who just decided to enroll in like a Chinese speaking program. So I had a couple mm. of like mm, early 30s, mid 30s folks yeah. in my classes. Um, and it was just and interesting because, uh, yeah, Americans. And yeah. Um, I think kind of things kind of lined up well for me because that's how I ended up going back to China after I graduated because all of these people who I had met who were foreigners who were you know pretty deep within their mid career mm-hmm. um were studying Chinese and then they all got jobs in China like very good it, jobs it. in China yeah. um at that time because the financial crisis really didn't hit China in the same way that it hit um the US yeah, that they're kind of known for being the complete opposite to the United States as the United States was kind of crashing and burning around those times. They were sort yes. of at, at the very least staying stable, you know, so. Very, very unique um, at a time for me. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I ended up working at Peking University, which is definitely, you know, the harbor of China is extremely prestigious. Yeah. And I still have lots of friends and um, people that I know from that time period of me working there. Nice, nice, nice. So your experiences in China, you know, I think 
we've sort of had um we talked about you know the, the the culture shock and and the learning the language and the people you met but what was your experience as a black person as a black woman a black american woman you know in china you know what can you i guess shed light on in, in terms of the, the takeaways you've had from that or some experiences that stood out to you um, when it comes to that so for me i would say it's it was really seeing the black community transform you know, I was in China for eight years. So just to yeah. give you some perspective, I came back in 2018. I graduated from university in 2010. So that's a long time. That's basically yeah. all of my yeah. 20s in, in China. Um, and so, you know, kind of seeing when I first, you know, started working in China, I almost met no Black people. When I met Black people, mm. they were almost always African um, mm-hmm. and almost always, you know, working or studying um, at a university or working at the embassy is more more the case. And then yeah. over time, I started to meet more and more and more African-Americans and other people of the Black diaspora and um, the community, like having events, you know, um, and forging some, some um, identity as a community really started to happen. I'd say right. the last three years that I was in China, those last three years, definitely there's a um, this strong black community and seeing black people start businesses in China, connect with each other, yeah. um, start to really operate as a, a real diaspora. It was just fascinating for me to see and something that I'm extremely grateful to have been a part of. Um, I'd say being black in China is, it's, it's a unique experience because, you know, obviously America is a multicultural environment. So right. wherever you are, you can, no matter where you're from, you can still be looked at as American. Whereas in China, it's, you know, 90 something percent Han Chinese. So mm-hmm. a very obviously you're a foreigner and everyone is who's a foreigner is looked at as a foreigner. So you're living a kind of expat life, expatriate life a foreign life and everyone knows that you are black and most people view you as African, even if you don't necessarily view you as African. So for me, my family maybe has been in the U S a hundred, 200, I don't know how many centuries of years, you know, we're descendants of slaves. I never had an African identity and I didn't know much about the African continent, Mm. but I think going to China, forces you to see yourself as African and also forces you to understand that when you move through the world, you are viewed as African, right? And meeting so many people from the Black diaspora helps you understand things about yourself and your own identity and what it means to be a Black person as part of a global collective rather than I'm just a Black American. Um, And I think that's something that I am forever grateful for. Um, And it was also definitely, you know, one of those transformative um, experiences. Yeah, no, I actually, I I like, you know, where you're going with this and and, uh, to the, to the point where the the sort of ecosystem in China, um, you sort of acted the way a diaspora should be acting. And I can't help but think about how the, what the dynamics of the black diaspora is like outside of China. Right. Where, a lot of, you know, um, Africans or people from the continent of Africa sort of 
aren't exactly as chummy typically with you know black americans and then you have you know black black people in the caribbean and, and black people in latin america and just how the diaspora engages with, with each other but when we get to china we sort of have no choice but to come together and i'm wondering where does that come from i mean i understand we're all foreigners but do you think that chinese society sort of forces you into that box and you sort of have to have each other's back and be each other's brother and sister i think it's a because chinese people are very um the way they think about themselves and their own diaspora is very rooted in a, a national identity and ethnic mm. pride. So, yeah. for example, I had I have lots of friends who are Chinese American, right? And some of them really their Chinese wasn't the best when we were, you know, living in China. And mm. Chinese people would say, "Oh, like, but you're Chinese," and they'll be like, "But I'm American." And they're like, "No, right, right. you're Chinese. Like, your <laughs> blood is from China." And for them, obviously, right. you they. Some people can definitely understand the concept of that there are Black people in America. Um, but for them, wherever your bloodline and your lineage mm. and your heritage comes yeah. from, that's where you're really from. That's what they think about everybody and especially about themselves. And so that is a strong part of their own identity. And so obviously, you know, if you're American, you're American, right? But right. um, being a place where you're around so many other Black people from so many different places um, and there's not as many of you, you have that, you have some level of common, you know, culture and common experiences, albeit, you know, obviously different um, in many ways, but you're, you're sharing a common experience of being Black in China. And that is the, I think, a lot of the foundation of the Black diaspora and the Black community in China, mm -hmm. which makes I think it different a, than, you know, Black right. diaspora in other places. Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting point about, you know, you talked about how Chinese view Chinese Americans and, and it kind of uh, rolls over to how they view Black people and, and, and as as where they, they see your, your bloodline as coming from. Um, and it, it makes me think, you know, that there is a lot of doubt in Chinese. Like when I was in China, it's sort of they eventually believe you're from America. But at first, they're just like, which country in Africa are you from? Right. And it makes me think that they, they, they assume that, I guess, white American bloodline is from America and black people are foreigners or, or, or foreign blood to, to, to America. And it also makes me think about that. Neither black or white people are how can root our bloodlines back to America itself. So as I know, just interesting food for thought to think about. Yes, it's definitely interesting. And I think, you know, from my perspective, a lot of the idea of I'll, actually I'll give you a story. So one of my <laughs> friends, I'll never forget this conversation. I mean, this happened like seven years ago. I still remember it very clearly. <laughs> so we were watching basketball. Basketball is extremely popular in China. Yeah. So it's me and my friend, we're watching basketball and she turns around and looks me in my eye and she asked me, well, you know, when people, when someone's going to ask you a weird question <laughs> and she knew that her question was weird, but she decided today I'm going to ask. She said, Cleo, um, how did the NBA get all of those black people? And I said, <laughs> what do you mean? She was just like. 
there's like I watch sports and like for the NBA, there's just like the whole team, all the teams are black. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, but where did they get them from? And I was like, they're American. And she's like, but they're black. And I was like, <laughs> right, but right. they're American. And then I basically had to tell her, you know, slavery, right? And obviously, you know, within their own national curriculum, they do learn about slavery, but I maybe she never put two to two together. And I think, um, especially if you grew up in um, the 80s and early 90s, you may have not seen many mainstream images of Black people on television mm-hmm. in the U.S., so that yeah. translates abroad as well. Like Friends is a completely all white show in New York City, which is the most absurd right. situation yeah. ever. Like, yeah. how can you get a cast of all white people and also all of the background people yeah. and all the people on the street to be white in New York? It's literally impossible, but they figured out how to do that. Yeah, I think the conversations I had that involved or related to race were, was re- were really interesting in China because for me, and I think everyone has different opinions on this, but, you know, I went with uh, Morehouse, right? That's where I, I did part of my undergraduate. Oh, with nice. HBCU. Right. So can you imagine like a group of 11 black men walking around China, right? So you <laughs> just, the stories that come out of that, I mean, who thought we were a professional basketball team? Who thought we were that? It was just like too much. But, but um, uh, I think I lost my train of thought. <laughs> race. Um, yes, my conversations on race uh, in China were so interesting because it didn't come from a place of malice. Like none of the conversations I I, I, I dealt with came from a place of malice. It came. You you, you started to realize that every perspective they had every notion they had every stereotype they had was filtered through western media was filtered through what they saw in america not from their own historical or or cultural engagement or experiences with black people and a lot of times a conversation literally a conversation a talk speaking engaging with um chinese people would break down a lot of those barriers and allow for just a a better understanding and 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 completely improve um the 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 room the 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 situation um you know the the relationship as a whole compared to experiences with race in america where it's no matter what you say no matter you know what happens just your being just the history behind that it's just it's not going to change you know everyone knows the deal they know the history they know the information um and they just refuse to even accept this truth, and and they still dislike you. They still want to other you, and and whatnot. That's my personal experiences. Other people might 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 differ on that, but I've just felt that a lot of times in China, when I face moments of anti-blackness or face moments of discrimination or whatnot, it's like in passing, you can't do anything about that. But if someone asks you like a pretty racist question, like I've had people who, you know, rub my, rub my skin and ask, like, why is it not coming off, right? In, in America, <laughs> you would react, like, oh, this is so racist, this is so terrible. But you, when you realize it comes from a place of just genuine ignorance, and then th- when you actually engage with that curiosity and you have a, a, a constructive conversation, you could both get to a better place. So that's what always 
in a way, kept my faith in China, even with a lot of experiences I've had. So I don't know if you have anything to say on that. So much to say. So Mm -hmm. um, I think, so a lot of times people like to ask me, Cleo, are Chinese Chinese people racist? And it's usually white people who ask me that. Um, (laughs) And I feel like their expectation is for me to say, yeah, Chinese people are racist, but that's never my answer. I, I think that um, your experience with anti-Blackness is always going to be subjective and relative to your place in life. So I will mm-hmm. say my experience is rooted in the fact that I am from the South, even, mm-hmm. uh, even though some people don't consider Florida as the South, but I'm from North Florida and that is definitely the South. 100 million percent, right? Oh yeah. Um, I used to live in Orlando, so I hear you on that loud and clear. <laughs> yes. And I'm from North, North Florida. So like oh, yeah, an hour yeah. and a half or so from Georgia. Oh yeah. And, <laughs> you know, so that's the place that I'm coming from and, you know, coming from a family where my grandmother, who is, you know, 71, went to all segregated school in a town with only 10,000 people right now in one high school now. So that's my perspective. And so my, my thinking on what I consider to be racist and anti-blackness is going to be colored from that. So my racism tolerance level, I think maybe might be high, right? Whereas some Mm. people, if you're from California, my husband, he's African and he's Mm -hmm. from a majority tribe his racism level tolerance level is very low. I, and yeah, we lived in China together. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for me, I would say a, the difference really is, is that the, the entire United States system is in history is built upon a system of racism and racial hierarchy and right. economic and systemic oppression. Like mm-hmm. you can't separate anything in the U S from that. And we as, you know, an American society have to come to terms with that and have to deal with it and try to progress, um, you know, and move forward and try to be more tolerant as a society. Right. And that is an issue that we will forever have. Right. Whereas China, first of all, I'm a foreigner, so I'm not immigrating there. I'm not going to be a part, quote unquote, of the Chinese society. I'm living in China and I'm a guest in someone's house. Mm -hmm. essentially right so and they don't have a history or an incentive to want to you know be anti-black or have systems that are really set up to you know complete completely target you as a black person they have systems set up for foreigners of which you are a part but not oh this is my energy is going to be focused there and i think for most chinese people if you can make them money, if they think that you're a nice person, if they think you're a cool person, then, you know, they'll probably walk away with the idea that all Black people are amazing, which yeah. might be another problem. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's generally, you know, how they engage with people. And I think that, unfortunately, there are definitely um, times where there are situations where you will face racism, where you will face prejudice. Um and a lot of the, the, that thinking and those stereotypes 100% come from Western media, um, that it has spread, you know, anti-Blackness all over the world. Right. 
So I think on that note, right, in this world of COVID (laughs) that we live in, China has become sort of a boogeyman, but also just a major point of conversation um, regarding um, various things, right? Regarding the origin of the virus, regarding the treatment of of Black people um, in China um, during the, you know, the height of the virus over there. What do you say to you know, someone who's black in the diaspora, whether whether they're in Brazil or Barbados or Alabama, Florida or Italy or in Nigeria, what do you say to someone looking at China and saying, you know, what you're saying is kind of still hard to believe. Like, I still feel like China with the way they evicted black people, the way they selectively targeted black people um, during during COVID. Like, what do you say to someone who's still who may think China is a racist country or not a good country for black people to be in or engage with? So, unfortunately, I would say that as a black person, when you travel abroad, you have to be prepared for anti blackness. You there's nowhere in this world that you can go, except for the African continent, excluding South Africa, mm-hmm. where there's yeah. no anti blackness. That is yeah. your reality. Um, and so if you do want to, you know, have global experiences and be global minded, you have to understand that. And there are, you know, levels to that. I think that China mm-hmm. is still a wonderful place for Black people because your Blackness is also a part of being an expat and being a foreigner. Um, and you're living in a society that is not necessarily trying to target you because you are Black. Um, will that mean all your interactions with Chinese people will be great? No. Does that mean that you will be treated as a foreigner? Yes. Does that mean that you will experience anti-Blackness? Yes. So I think for all young people who are interested in engaging with China and, you know, interested in the China space, you do have to understand what, what is your why and what do you hope to gain For me, I definitely gained this overall cultural understanding. I gained a husband. I met my husband in China. Mm -hmm. You know, I gained a new religion. I gained a sense of identity and self. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, especially for an American, living abroad and working abroad for an extended period of time will help you understand this country in a completely different light as well. Um, But I can't tell someone go or not go. Um, I would just say, you know, know your why and understand what you hope to gain because China is still and probably will forever be, or at least in our lifetime, a place where you're not going to live there for forever. You're there, you're a guest, you're a foreign worker or studying, and there's something that you hope to achieve by being there or there's something that you hope to achieve by participating in you know, the China space. So, yeah. Although I would say you have spent the longest time I've heard of anyone (laughs) um, who visited China. So, (laughs) Really? I know some people who've been there since the eighties. Wow. It just kept staying and Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I know a couple of, we call them old China hands. And Uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I have heard that term before. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, Entering, I guess, the final, the, the final stage of, of today's uh, conversation, which has been just great so far. I want to get into what you do today, your work today. And, you know, 
what resources are there available for for people anyone but you know for black people specifically in 2021 looking to head to china um in in, in today's kind of crazy world with, with with the lockdowns and the quarantines and and and, and all the, the the restrictions you know what do you what would be your advice to someone looking to get to head to china and what resources are out there for someone who is maybe post-college and and still curious about heading back and miss their opportunity during college Okay. Um, so right now I'm working at the Age Society and what we specifically do um, is really work with three types of stakeholders. We work with uh, um, K through 12 schools across the U.S. to help um, promote and strengthen their Chinese language programs. As you may be aware, you know, the U.S., we're not a country that really promotes um, foreign languages, our learning languages in general, right. and Chinese is definitely a critical needs language, meaning that across all industries, and particularly in the U.S. government, we need more students and more young people who can engage with China, understand China, and can speak Chinese. And so that's mm-hmm. part of the work we do. We also engage directly with young people through um, our media platform called Chinosity. Um, definitely check us out. Our Instagram handle is at Chinosity News. Um, and specifically, we're trying to be what BuzzFeed is for American pop culture, for mm. Chinese pop culture and entertainment. Nice. So we produce a lot of different content around um, Chinese language, Chinese culture, the Chinese mm-hmm. diaspora, and the richness of you know expats and young people who are learning, engaging, and working in China. Um, and then mm. we also work with um, Chinese language teachers as well. So that's kind of generally what I do. And, you know, it's right. a part of my passion because for me, my entire life changed because of learning Chinese and going to China and getting that exposure. Otherwise, I'd probably be, you know, I, I was going to be an accountant. So <laughs> <laughs> exciting career, huh? <laughs> right. And I'd just be, you know, probably back in the South and working as an accountant or some kind of financial prof- professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I would have done for the rest of my life, yeah. um, which is, you know, definitely significantly less interesting than what I'm doing and what I have done. Um, in terms of my advice, I'd say be strategic about your career. I think for mm-hmm. me, you know, it ended well or it's it's going well, um, but I was not that strategic. Like I just went to China and that's what <laughs> I wanted to do, but I didn't necessarily plan out my career in the way that I think young people especially now need to. So if you're interested in China, know what your goals are. Yeah. I would say especially Beijing not as much as Shanghai because Shanghai is a little bit bougie, but in Beijing, <laughs> the connections that you can make with people who are For way sure. above your level is incredible. You yeah. will meet yeah. the most amazing people, both Chinese people and foreigners. You will get to sit in certain rooms and be privy to certain information that they shouldn't even tell you. It's just there's yeah. something incredible about that. And especially, you know, working there with Chinese uh, word culture, which they call 996, where you're just working all the time, Mm -hmm. lots of overtime, you will get a lot of experience um, being that person that helps them bridge, you know, what they're doing with the Western world and vice versa. That's a great spot to be in. And you will get lots of experience beyond what your peers will in the U.S. And um, alternatively, if you decide that not 
living in China long-term is for you. There are a lot of opportunities in the U.S. for people who, you know, speak Chinese and, and even in your local government, in your right. tourism department, in your economic department, um, in the federal government, there are lots of opportunities. And so, you know, be strategic, know, uh, think about what it is you hope to gain and really try to direct your career. Um, with one caveat, life is full of surprises. And so <laughs> don't be too anchored in any one thing, especially mm-hmm. when you're, you're, you know, just getting out of college, you know, have some bit of flexibility to you um, because opportunities, they come and they go and you have to seize them when they come. Yeah, no, I think well said, well said. It has been a great episode. I think we've come to the end of our episode today. Thank you so much, Cleo, for joining us during this amazing discussion. Um, it's always good to talk to people who have lived in China as well. You just, you have that unique language and things you can relate to that not a lot of people um, <laughs> outside can relate. Um, you know, for my podcast in general, I just hope my one hope is that every episode can bring some value and perspective to every listener out there. And I think this today's episode did just that. So as always, thank you to everyone listening to the Brooklyn and to Beijing podcast. And thank you to Cleo. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Yeah, bye.